Project Church, what's up? How's everybody doing? Man, good to see you. You guys are here on President's Day. That means you're extra spiritual. President's Day weekend, you're in church. Way to go. But hey, we're really excited for today. We're continuing this series called Whisper uh, as we're looking at hearing God's voice so we can know God's will. Uh, One thing we've seen is that we live in a really loud world, don't we? It's really noisy. A lot of things going on. Our lives are too loud. Our schedules are too busy. And so we often have a hard time hearing from God. We have a hard time hearing God's voice because while God has an outside voice, he can speak very loudly. I think that often God speaks in a whisper. And he speaks in a whisper because he wants us close to him. There's nothing more intimate than communicating through a whisper. And so this series we've been looking at how God speaks to us and the languages in which God speaks to us. And so last week we talked about scripture. Um, But today I'm going to continue talking about the three P's of God's whisper, which are people, pain, and promptings. So this is like three sermons in one today. You guys get it. You came on a good day. All right? Man, so my kids, uh, they're six, four, and three, and I do something with them which I would not recommend. This is not good parenting advice, but I like to do it with them just to see how they respond. And so pretty much once a week, I'll be hanging out with them, playing with them. I'll say, Kanan, who's your favorite? Mommy or daddy? Just got to ask them. See what they say. And Kanan, he's a diplomat, man. He might be a politician someday. And so he always says, mommy and daddy, I love you guys the same. He's smart, right? But my four-year-old and my three-year-old, like, they don't think that way. And so I ask them, and they immediately respond every time, mommy. Mommy's our favorite. And Chrissy celebrates every time. And, uh, but it's a good thing because I'm not sensitive, you know, it might hurt Chrissy's feelings more if they said daddy. One day, I'm working on it, that's why I keep asking them. But, uh, and, I, and I spoil them with candy every time they say it's mommy. I'm like, really? Here's some Reese's. <laughs> but here's what I found. I think a lot of us, we think that God has favorites. We actually think that God loves certain people more than others. We think, and we look at other people's lives, we're like, man, like, they're more spiritual than me. That's why they hear from God more, because he likes them more. Or he's a pastor, so God definitely likes him more. We look around and we think about our lives, our past, our sin. And we go, man, look what I did in my past. Look at my sin. Like, no wonder I don't hear from God as much as other people or I don't, or perceive to. It's because God doesn't love me as much as he loves them. But I'm here to tell you, God is no respecter of persons. God does not play favorites. God loves every one of us so uniquely and individually. He pursues us uniquely and individually. But I want to tell you that the reason we're not hearing his voice isn't because he doesn't like us as much as he likes someone else. The reason we're not hearing his voice is because we got too much going on in our lives. Our lives are too loud. Our schedules are too busy. And so we can't hear him. And so this whole series is about getting alone learning to be quiet and to hear the whispers of God. So I'm going to read today from Jeremiah chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. It will be on the screen for you so you can follow along. But this is a story of Jeremiah and uh, the book of Jeremiah written by the prophet Jeremiah. Let me set this up real quick. So the book of Jeremiah is an interesting story where essentially Jeremiah is speaking in the beginning. The first third of the book is Jeremiah calling out the Israelites God tells Jeremiah, look, I'm about to come in and flex on the Israelites. 
Um, I'm going to come in and I'm going to send Babylon, a nation, to attack them, to capture them, and to take them into exile because they have rebelled against me. And sometimes we think, man, that seems kind of harsh. But here's the thing. God warned them multiple times. He sends Jeremiah to warn them, and they actually ignore Jeremiah's warning. They drive him off. They say, we don't want to hear it from you. They had gotten so far that this is what the Israelites were doing. They would go into the temple to worship God and sacrifice to God. Then they would come out of the temple and they would worship and sacrifice to Baal and other idols. These were idols of the Canaanites because they were a people group that were living around them. So they were worshiping multiple gods. They would still do their duty to their God. They'd come out and worship other gods. It had gotten so far, though, they had gotten so far that they had even adopted the practice of many nations in this day of child sacrifice. They were sacrificing their own children to other idols, other gods, and God is fed up. And he's like, look, I got to get their attention, and I got to correct their rebellion and their sin. How many know there's sometimes God's got to get our attention? I don't know if God's ever got your attention, but he's gotten my attention before. And so God speaks through Jeremiah, tells them, look, I'm going to send it. He even tells them the nation, the name of the nation and the king, and he even tells them how long it's going to be. He says, it's going to be 70 years that you will be in exile from your nation because of your rebellion and your sin. He, he tells them all this, and yet still they say, we don't care. We don't want to listen to you. And so what's sad is that then Jeremiah lives through his own prediction. He actually lives through Israel being attacked by Babylon, being taken captive, being exiles from their own nation. Their cities are broken down and destroyed. Uh, their nation is in ruins. And he lives through all this. But in the middle, and that's the second part of Jeremiah. But in the middle of, of, the, of this book are these few chapters where God issues and gives them a message of hope. So I don't know if you've ever gone through pain or you've gone through a hard time in your life. Maybe you're going through one right now. Um, you're going through a struggle right now in your life. But I'm here to tell you, I want you to hear me, there's still hope. That God is still telling you there's hope. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't given up on you. He's going to bring you through it. And this is what he says to the nation here in Jeremiah. So here we go, Jeremiah chapter 33. Y'all ready? Here we go. Jeremiah 33. I'm going to start in Verse number four says this, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah, that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. So he's basically saying, look, you tore down a bunch of stuff because they saw Babylon coming and they tried to defend themselves. It didn't go well. The siege still happened. Babylon still won. But he's telling them about that, reminding them. He says they've come in to fight against the Chaldeans to fill them up with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my, and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of their evil. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. He's telling them, look, I've still got you. I'll rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory, because before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them, they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for it. 
Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah, these are their main cities, the streets of Jerusalem, their capital city, that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for these people that came to worship today uh, to hear from you. I pray that we would learn and glean something from your word today, something that we can take away and live out in this world. We love you, Jesus. Speak through me. Uh, give me your words. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So let me talk to you about the languages of God's whisper. Number one is people. Everybody say people. So here God speaks through Jeremiah. Uh, I, I read where God is giving them hope through Jeremiah. He's saying, look, your, your nation is destroyed. Your cities are broken down. They're desolate. They're empty. You're in exile, but there's still hope. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to restore these cities. I'm going to restore what's happened. But he speaks to Jeremiah first in the beginning of this book where Jeremiah goes and speaks to the Israelites and says, listen, this is what's about to happen if we don't turn from our sin, if we don't turn from our rebellion. We are about to be taken and attacked, and, and we're going to be captives. This nation is coming. He's warning them. He's telling them, and yet they don't respond. They don't listen. The great thing about God is that he chooses to use people. That should be an encouragement to you because he wants to use you. He wants to use you, your life, your voice, your actions, your steps to speak into other people. He wants to use you to bless the people around you. That's the great thing about God's voice is that he, gets, he speaks through us. I mean, how humbling is that? How, what an honor to know that God speaks through us as his people and he wants to speak through you. I'll say this, every major dream, decision that I've ever made in my life was confirmed by a person. Like God spoke to a person to confirm the decision that I was about to make or the dream that God had put in my heart. He used people in my life to confirm what I was feeling, what I was being led towards, I was moving towards. So I came across in this book, Whisper by Mark Batterson, which we based this series on, I came across something that the psychologists define as the Johari window. And what the Johari window is, is four windows into our personality and our identity. So we're going to look at three of them real quick today. The first one is the arena quadrant. The arena quadrant are those things that you know about you and others know about you. So this is your public persona. This is your Facebook, right? This is your Instagram. This is how you present yourself and how other people see you and perceive you. This is your public persona, the arena quadrant. The second quadrant is the facade quadrant. This is the things you know about you, but others don't know about you. These are the things that you keep hidden uh, for different reasons, but you know it, but nobody else knows it. So this is the facade quadrant. This is like Oz, the great and powerful, but who he is really behind the curtain, right? He's just a dude pulling levers and speaking into a microphone, uh, pushing a smoke machine button. Like, this, this is the facade quadrant. We put on a front. We act like we're something in front of other people, but we got other stuff going on under the surface behind the scenes. The third quadrant, the one I really want to focus on right now, is the blind spot quadrant. Now, the blind spot quadrant 
is what you don't know about you, but others know about you. And what they found, psychologists found, is that we all have blind spots. I know some of you out there are like, not me, man. I ain't got any blind spots. Like, I got it all together. I know what's going on in my life. No, they found that every one of us has blind spots in our life. And that's why we need people in our life who will speak into the blind spots that we have. So for me, it's that person that would tell me when I'm walking up on stage, Caleb, your barn door is open. Like, Caleb, your zipper is down. Now, let's be real. There are some of you in this room, a lot of you, if you saw me about to walk up on that stage with my zipper down, you wouldn't say anything. You know why you wouldn't say anything? Because you're not close enough to me. You would be too embarrassed. You don't know me well enough. You're like, I ain't saying nothing. You would let me walk up here with my zipper down and preach a whole message and and wouldn't even hesitate to, to ignore it. You'd just walk away like you didn't see it, and you'd be sitting out there feeling guilty the whole time. But what we need are people who will tell us when our zipper is down. We need people who will tell us the truth. They will speak to the blind spots in our life and call us out. Jeremiah tries to do this for the Israelites. He tries to say, look, y'all don't realize you're worshiping multiple gods. I don't think you realize what you're doing. You are displeasing God by the way that you're living, by the things that you're doing, by what you're, the actions that you're taking. And yet they didn't want to hear it. We need people to speak truth in us, and over us. So some truths to hearing God through people. We need to let the right people in. If you're going to hear God through people, you got to make sure you let the right people in, which means you got to keep the wrong people out. Let the right people in, keep the wrong people out. This is a truth. You want to hear God through people? Make sure there are people that you surround yourself with, that you trust, that you know have your best uh the best intentions for you, that care about you, that want the best for you. There are people that will try to speak into you that maybe you don't want around you. And the third is be open. We got to be open to people speaking into our lives. So there's something called prophecy or the prophetic. So in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, we see there's nine gifts of the Spirit. And one of them is prophecy. Now prophecy is not telling your future, although sometimes it may involve your future. Prophecy is a word of encouragement or edification for your life or for a body of people. And so what God does is he has given certain people this gift of the spirit of prophecy. He's given them prophetic words. And so maybe you'll hear this in church. Someone will be like, I have a word for you. And you'll be like, um, uh, what does that mean? Like, I don't get it. When they say I have a word for you, what they're talking about is they have an encouragement or a prophecy, a word of edification for your life. And what I found that for a long time, I was always skeptical. We got any skeptical people in here? Come on, be real. You're skeptical to everything. I know. I'm with you. My wife will tell you I'm one of the most skeptical people. So people will come to me like, I got a word for you. I'll be like, that's nice. (laughs) See ya. You know, like, I ain't got time for that. I don't know you. Like, right? Like, some of you feel me. You know what I'm saying? And so I found I was very closed to God speaking through people. But over time, God has changed my heart. And I said, you know what? I just want to be open. That doesn't mean that people are always right because sometimes they're wrong. And that's why I use discernment. And that's why we need scripture, which is the first language of God. And we align it. We say, does this line up with scripture? If it doesn't, then it's not from God. But we're open. And so you know what I do? Here's how, here's how I, uh, I vet some people. They kind of be, oh, I got a word for you. 
And it happens to me occasionally. I think because I'm a pastor, maybe it happens more because people are like, I want to speak a word over the pastor. I'll be like, all right, cool. And I'll pull out my phone. I'll bring up voice memos. I'll hit record and say, go. And if they're like, oh, wait, wait I don't want it recorded. I'm like, sorry, this ain't from God then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like if it's from God, then you're okay with accountability. If it's from God, not only that, but I want to be able to go back and listen to it so I know that I heard it right. And I know that I could actually share it with somebody else too that maybe they need to hear about a word that God gave me that could be for them too. And so I've done this, and I do this, man. So you bring me a word, I'm going to hit record on my voice, man. I'm just warning you right now, okay? But we got to be open. I've tried to make myself more open, but I still use discernment because I want to hear from God. We want to hear God's voice, don't we? That means we got to allow people to speak into us. We got to allow people close enough to us because a lot of us are putting on, we're in the facade quadrant. We put on a facade. We don't let anyone close enough, close enough to know who we really are or what's really going on. How could those people speak truth and call us out if we don't let them close? People. God wants to speak through people. Number two, God speaks through promptings. Everybody say promptings. So I don't know if you're in here, you've ever hit a baseball with a bat or a softball. Anybody here, if you have ever hit a baseball with a bat, raise your hand. Wiffle ball, anything. Man, I think almost every person in this room. Okay, well done. So let me explain this. In order to hit a baseball or a softball or anything like that with a bat, you need two things. You need vision and you need timing. If you have vision without timing, it's a strike. If you have timing without vision, you'll swing a miss. It's a strike. You need both vision and timing to make contact. Now, they were studying, they were studying um, professional baseball players because they, they started thinking about, man, how is it possible for these, these men to hit a ball that's coming at 90 to 100 miles an hour, it's this big around, with a bat that's, you know, barely any bigger around, and yet somehow they're able to make, con- make contact so often, so regular. What is happening? So they begin to study it, and they researched it, and they had scientists look at them, and here's what they found. They found that the reaction time to hit a baseball has to be quicker than the blink of an eye. And so scientifically, it is not possible, humanly possible, to hit a baseball. It's not humanly possible to hit a baseball that's coming at that speed with that diameter and the size of the bat, um, unless you're playing slow pitch softball, then it's possible. But I'll talk about 90 to 100 miles an hour. It's not humanly possible because the reaction time has to be faster than the blink of an eye. And our reaction time is not that fast. And so they begin to do more research and try to figure out how is it possible that these professional athletes are still hitting this ball. And here's what they found. They found that the brain is able to predict where the ball is going to be. So the brain predicts when the ball is leaving the hand, the trajectory and the location, the brain can predict where the ball is going to be so they have more reaction time to be able to strike the ball and make contact. What I'm telling you is baseball players can tell the future. That's what I'm telling you. I thought this was so interesting. 
this idea that we need vision and we need timing and this idea of knowing where and predicting where something's going to be. Here's, here's why I'm telling you all this. Because God is the one that gives us vision, that has the perfect timing, and he actually knows the past, the present, and the future. So when he prompts you, it's because he sees what's coming. You don't always see what's coming. You don't always know what's going to happen. You don't always know what the result of that action is going to be. But God knows. And so God prompts us to step out in faith, to do things, to speak out words, to encourage people, to go places. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's coming. So I wanted to encourage you and me that we would be able to, and we would be a people that say, you know what, when God prompts me, I will respond. When God prompts me, I will say, God, give me your vision. Give me your time. And let me tell you, his timing doesn't look like our timing. He may prompt you to do something, and it doesn't make sense to you. You don't know how it makes sense in that time. In fact, it's rarely in your time because usually you're busy doing something else. And God's going to prompt you. He's going to say, God, I'm busy. It's rather like, yeah, God, I'm just chilling, doing nothing. Okay, I'll do it for you. Like, no, we're always doing things. We're going. We're taking action. We got stuff going on in our life. And then God prompts us because his timing and his vision will set us up because he knows the future. He knows what's coming. We have to respond to the promptings. All right, Ryan, can you help me, buddy? Don't, if you sit on the front, you're going to have to help me. Come on, come on. All right, this is my boy Ryan. Right here. Okay, Ryan, stand here. I wanted you because you're big and strong, all right? So the promptings of God, the promptings of God are like subtle nudges, I believe. Like it's rare that God's like behind us, like 300 kicking us to do something like, ah, oh, this is Sparta, right? Like that's not how, that's not how God does it. Like they're, they're nudges. His promptings, they're, they're subtle. They're, they're like this. Okay, face that way. There we go. They're subtle. They're like this. Just like a prompting to go. Now, if I just nudge Ryan, he's not going nowhere, right? Like he's not moving, this little nudge. But what I've found is that God actually will nudge me and he'll nudge me and I don't want to move because I'm comfortable where I am. Just like Ryan, stay there. Just like Ryan's comfortable there. I'm comfortable and I feel this nudge and I'm like, wait, was that me? Or was that God? Like was that, was that me thinking that or was that... God telling me to do that. And so these nudges come, these little subtle promptings, these nudges. And what I'd started to decide and what I think we need to decide is when God prompts us, when he nudges us, okay, next time I nudge you, take a step. When, when God nudges us, we move. He's not going to force you to do anything. God's not going to force you to move. Make sure you take another step, Ryan. But he might prompt you and then you move he prompts you and you move what's it about what are promptings what does it all have to do with it all has to do with a willing and obedient heart that says if God prompts me to move it's, it might be subtle but you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna take a step yeah, I'm gonna keep you going all that no go, go sit down you're good Ryan give it up for Ryan The key to promptings is willingness. It's obedience. And here's what I found. There's been times where I was like, I think that was God. I felt prompted and I stepped out. 
And then I was like, I don't know if that was God. <laughs> like people are like, what are you talking about, bro? Or people reject me. I've stepped out like uh, just recently God told me, go pray for this dude in the gym. Like the gym, praying for people, those two things don't go together, okay? <laughs> it gets weird up in there. Let me just lay hands on you, brother. He's like, what? And so recently I went to this dude. I was like, hey, I, I, is it cool? Like he, he had told me what, some stuff he was going through. Can I pray for you? He's like, man, not here. <laughs> not here. And so I felt dumb, honestly. I walked away like, man, I must have missed it. Like that wasn't God. But I told him, I said, bro, I'll be praying for you, though, at home, okay? I'll be praying for you. Like, thank you. The next day I saw him, he's like, man, thank you so much for praying for me. You know, he wasn't ready for me to pray for him there. But that faith and boldness, I believe, spoke to him. And then he thanked me for praying for him the next day. Him and I have gotten closer because of that. I've been able to pray for him through a situation that he's going through. So those promptings, you just got to be willing, be obedient. God, if that's you, I'm going to step. And maybe you miss it sometimes, but if you miss it, then the next time you'll know what a God prompting feels like and what a you prompting feels like. It's about obedience, willingness. And then third, oh wait, truth to hearing God through promptings. First, trust his timing. So it's in God's timing, not your timing. And second, just do it. I'm talking about take action, act. Step out, move, take that step when God prompts you. Third today, the third whisper of God's voice is pain. Everybody say pain. Say ouch. Man, the Israelites, Jeremiah, they went through some serious pain. They went through some serious pain because they didn't listen to God's initial voice. They didn't listen when God spoke through people, when God spoke through Jeremiah. In fact, I don't believe they even whispered with the promptings that were all around them. And so finally God spoke to them through what? The only way that they would be able to hear him. Finally, God spoke to them through pain. He said, you're not going to respond to me. You're not going to be obedient to me. You're not going to follow me. I'm going to have to put you through some pain. And so he sends a nation to attack them, to wipe out their city, and to take them captive back to their nation, where they sit as exiles for 70 years. Jeremiah's prediction and prophecy came true. 70 years later, God rescued them. Seventy years later, God set them free. Set them free. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. You know, I know this whole series is about a whisper. I, I got to tell you, pain rarely feels like a whisper. Sometimes God uses pain because it's the only language that we will respond to. I know that's not what you want to hear. It's definitely not what I want to hear. But often I've found in my life that I can't hear God in the, in, the, in the promptings. I don't hear God through the people. I don't hear God through desires, dreams, and doors, which we're going to talk about next week. But I might hear God when the pain comes. Suddenly my ears are attuned to him. Suddenly I'm drawing closer to him. Why? Because the pain humbles us. The pain moves us from our proud feet to our humble knees. When we get down and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't make this on my own. Sometimes the greatest joys follow the greatest pain. 
You want to know how to know that? Just ask any mother in this room. The greatest joy followed the greatest pain. Pain saved my life. I don't know if pain's ever saved your life. But pain saved my life. I was in fourth grade. And I threw up in class. My teacher sent me home, Mrs. Henson. She said, get out of here. Sent me home. My mom came and got me. She's driving me home. I, I said, pull over. I remember I was almost to my house and I had her pull over. I opened the door and threw up all over the ground. Get home and my mom's like, oh, honey, you have a flu. Let me get some chicken noodle soup in you, you know, doing her mom thing. But I was like, mom, something's really wrong. This pain is unlike anything I've ever felt. The pain was so excruciating and so extreme. I said, mom, you have to take me to the hospital. Something is really wrong. So she drives me to the hospital. They look and my appendix is about to burst. So they go in, remove it. I got a scar to show it. Let me tell you, that pain saved my life. Sometimes we don't realize that the pain we're going through is actually God preserving us, God protecting us, God setting us up for our purpose and for our future. We don't know what God is doing through the pain that we're experiencing even right now. I know some of you are in this room and you're going through pain or maybe you just came out of a painful situation. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that God is still with you. God is still working. Just like the Israelites, God is speaking hope right now saying, listen, I'm going to restore gladness in this city. I'm going to restore joy in your life. I'm going to restore that which seems to be broken and taken from you. God draws us closer to him through the pain. He develops us into our purpose through the pain. If we're going to hear God through pain, we got to feel it. Don't just run from your pain. Feel it. Embrace it. We try to numb our pain in this world, don't we? We numb it with work. We numb it with busyness. We numb it with food. We numb it with television. We numb it with, with drugs. We numb it with medicine. Whatever we can do to not feel the pain that God maybe is wanting us to feel. But you got to feel it. Feel what God is doing in you. We got to learn from it. Pain may be the thing that saves us. It may be the thing that protects us. My kids this summer, they kept trying to touch the barbecue. I'm like, don't touch the barbecue. What are you doing? I'm grilling. Don't touch the barbecue. They kept trying to touch it. Finally, one, one of my sons walks up as I'm grilling, touches it. Tears. His hands are burned. I'm like, I told you, bro. But guess what? He ain't touched it since. We learn from our pain. Learn from it. Learn from what you go through. But finally, don't dwell on it. I think so often people begin to identify their pain as their identity. And they get rooted to that pain. And that pain becomes who they are. And God is saying, no, I was using that pain to develop you into who I wanted you to be. That pain is not who you are. That pain is not your identity. Move on from it. Learn from it. And walk into the future that God has for you. Mother Teresa wrote in her private diaries. I want to read a quote for you because I think this is really profound. I mean, think about Mother Teresa, like the most godly woman on the planet. Gave her whole life for God to serve those who are maligned and hungry and hurting and, and, and destitute. This is what she wrote in one, of her pain, in one of her private diaries. She said, I am told God lives in me. 
And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. I wanted you to hear that because I wanted you to understand that every one of us in this room has had moments of pain. Moments where we felt like we were far from God. Moments where we felt like we were alone. Moments where we felt like maybe we'd even been abandoned. Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a Savior that understands what it's like to go through pain. We have a Savior that can empathize and sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That understands what it feels like to be alone. And some of you in this place have felt alone for a long time. And God is saying to you right now, I have a future for you. I'm doing something in you through this, through what you're experiencing. Listen, your lives will not be pain-free. They won't. Your lives will not be pain-free, but I want to encourage you with what the Word of God says in Philippians 1, verse 6. A he who began a good work in you will see it and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started something in you, and he's going to finish that work in you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you in your mess. He's not going to leave you in this dark place. God is saying there is still hope, just as he said to the Israelites. He said there's still hope. And then one day he rescued them. He brought them out. You know, I thought it was interesting. I came across a story. In 1958, Life Magazine, Life Magazine published a story. It was a feature article. It was on the cover. And the title of the article was Mass Murder Trial of a Teenage Gang. You see this teenage gang of, I think, eight, individuals, eight boys, had murdered, beaten and murdered a 15-year-old boy who had polio. He was a crippled boy, and they beat him to death. And it had their pictures on the cover of this Time Magazine article. And man, the nation was outraged by it. People were so angry. People were vindictive. They wanted these boys put to death. But there was a rural Pennsylvania pastor who read this article and wept over it. You see, this was one of the gangs in New York City. He read this article and he wept over it. And God began to prompt him and speak to him and told him to go to New York City and to minister to those gangs. What does a white, rural, Pennsylvania pastor know about ministering to the New York City gangs? He knew nothing. But he felt that God was speaking to him, so he went. And he ministered, and he met a young boy named Nicky Cruz, who he led to Jesus Christ, which led to a story that became a book, that became a movie, and launched a ministry named Teen Challenge, which now is all over the world. You see this man's name, his name was David Wilkerson, a rural Pennsylvania pastor that God spoke to. He heard a whisper. He heard a whisper in his heart, and he responded, and he went, and he has changed the world. This ministry, Teen Challenge, is helping young men get out of addiction, get out of gangs, change their lives all over the country, all over the world, it has impacted thousands, countless of young people. Why? Because of the whisper of God.
promptings of God. So I want to encourage you today that we would be a people that hear the voice of God, that get attuned to the whisper of God, that we quiet our lives, we quiet our schedules, we quiet the noise, and we listen as God wants to speak to us once again. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?